Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Creator Club podcast. I have such a great interview ready for you, hot and fresh, ready to go. Today, we are chatting with my friend, Alex Gazaway. Alex is a super talented YouTuber and creative founder. I met Alex on the world of Instagram and YouTube. I honestly don't remember how I first found her, but I remember watching her YouTube videos and just thinking, this girl is so cool. Not only is she a super talented filmmaker, but she has a passion for social impact, activism, and advocacy. And I can't wait for you to hear our conversation talking about her journey of becoming like a filmmaker, a YouTube content creator, and also how she is now working on creating her very own tech startup. Her company is called Ambition, and they are launching a product called Lofty that connects creators with brands and NGOs that have a cause that needs somebody to speak on it. And I am just so excited to share this with you because I think that it speaks to a lot of what many of us are thinking about these days of how we can really mobilize our audiences and use our voice to share about something that is meaningful and impactful. And Alex has a bunch of great wisdom to share on that exact topic. Plus, you'll get to hear about her story of becoming a YouTuber. And we chat about whether or not YouTube kind of feels like a boys club and how welcoming it really is to women. So keep on listening for all of that good stuff. I can't wait to share this interview with you. Don't press the pause button. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the Creator Club podcast. I'm your host, Katie Steckley, YouTube creator and creative entrepreneur. The Creator Club podcast is a workshop style show dedicated to teaching creators and entrepreneurs the best strategies for social media marketing and content creation. Whether you're into Instagram, creating on YouTube, trying TikTok or producing podcasts, this show is made for you. And because here at Creator Club, we believe in teaching everything you know, and the community is more important than competition, this club is open to everyone. Come and join us. Hello, Alex, and welcome to the Creator Club podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hello, thank you. I'm excited to have this talk with you. It's going to be really fun. I've loved your podcast so far, and I'm excited to see uh, more interviews like this on the or hear more interviews like this on the podcast as well. Yes, thank you so much. I feel like we've been kind of like internet friends for a while. Like I've been following your YouTube channel and your Instagram, and so I just love to be able to actually like sit down, hear more about your story, and connect. So thank you for joining me. Yeah. Um, to get started, I would love if you would just you know, no big deal, but tell us your life story. Basically. <laughs> I, I would love to hear just like your creative journey. Like you are a filmmaker, just all around creative. You know what? I'll let you tell it. Like, what would you describe yourself as? How did you get started? Um, and what are some of the major milestones along your journey up until now? Yeah. No big deal. Life story synopsis. Yeah, and exactly. Go. Okay. Um, I guess, I've recently, or in the last year, kind of settled on a self-description of creative founder and YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, life story, my creative journey. So, if you wanna, if you wanna briefly go back, uh, I graduated college in 2014. Uh, I studied communications and film studies. I originally thought that I wanted to work in Hollywood. Very quickly found out uh, through working on some sets and uh, in, some work in Hollywood and in in the studios that. I wanted to have, things have changed a little bit since uh, 2012 and 2014, but wanted to be able to create content that was a little little more impactful in terms of meaning and social impact and all that stuff. And so excited to see where the industry is kind of heading in that direction, but discovered YouTube and this uh, content creation online and social media was just like ramping up at that point. Um, so went more the direction of creating online content and started doing it for companies and clients, built my video production company. Um, I've never had a real, a real job. I've never really been employed, uh, after college. Of course I've had other jobs in high school and college, but, um, have just been self-employed and running my own production company since graduating in 2014. So yeah, then started YouTube, I think, in 2016, 2017, casually, and then did daily vlogs for 100 days, and and now I'm not doing daily, but uh, creating films on YouTube. 
Oh, that is so awesome. I feel like in a lot of ways, our stories have a lot of parallels because I also graduated and then just immediately started doing the freelance thing. And I did like internships and stuff in university, but yeah, it's definitely a different experience to never have like escaped the nine to five because you never really did the nine to five and you just (laughs) like dove in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Was that like an interesting transition for you going from being full-time student to then diving into the world of like entrepreneurship? Did you ever struggle with like people like taking you seriously because you're so young, because you didn't have the experience or anything like that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think early on, most of my clients were people that knew me. Uh, so I, I don't remember really feeling like not taking me seriously, but I think more, more than that, I was probably not taking myself seriously more than anyone else. I had like a full imposter syndrome going as I still do in many aspects of my life. But, um, yeah, I, I just remember discovering that video was something people would pay you to make. Yes. Like that was such a huge deal. So I just remember I was excited when anyone would pay me to make videos. Uh, so, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that uh, wherever you are in your journey. Of, like, I feel like we all kind of start that way. Um, but more, yeah, more than more than my own imposter syndrome. I think I think the only time I've really felt like people weren't taking me seriously was because I was a woman more than how what my age was. So that's mm-hmm. been a whole other aspect of the journey. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Oh yeah, we love the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and especially like and I'd be curious like your feelings on this too, especially in the YouTube world cuz like freelance filmmaking that's a challenge in itself. Like it is definitely hard being a young woman entrepreneur like when you're trying to kind of like impose your creative direction on stuff. That's a challenge. But then also in the world of YouTube, especially like the filmmakery kind of side of YouTube. Honestly, I remember when I found your channel, I was like so pumped cuz I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is another girl who does filmmaking type stuff." Uh, mm-hmm. If that's like a term for it, whatever, cinematic <laughs> whatever if that's the more professional way to say it because it's very much a world at least I mean maybe it's starting to change but especially at the beginning I was like this is all Casey Neistat Peter McKinnon people like that which is fine but it's not necessarily I love that we always qualify it though what you just said which is fine <laughs> like we always as we, we always say that because we always yeah. like, we don't want to like call people out but also yeah. like, we can call people out. but also I want to call it out because I mean, who likes men anyway? Let's be honest. I'm married to one, but no, don't like them. No. <laughs> anyway, so how do you feel about like when you kind of got into the world of YouTube, especially making the kind of content that you do? Did you kind of feel like it was sort of like a boys club? Oh, I feel like that every day when I'm watching yeah. YouTube, when I'm thinking about what content I'm going to make, when I'm thinking about uh, like how I should approach my scripts and uh, is this weird? Will people like it's like a constant battle and uh, <laughs> some of your questions are a little reminiscent of like individual episodes of Adrian I's podcast. I co-host a podcast called underscore show. We have a full episode called the boys club. So oh, I'll have to listen to that. That is a, awesome. That's a full dive. And I think that you Katie would probably find that very reminiscent of your own feelings, but yeah, I think to keep that kind of succinct is just like, it feels like a boys club every day on mm-hmm. YouTube. Um, I know, you know, it depends on what your niche you're in, you know? I mean, there are definitely women on YouTube, but in the photo video niche, it's few and far between. And, um, when you see collaborations, you see other channels that are, uh, like hanging out, it's, it's mostly like, okay, there's five guys. And then sometimes you even like, or you see an Instagram photo of like people hanging out and it's like, there's one girl. And then in the caption, it's like, oh, that's my girlfriend, by the way. It's like, oh, don't worry. There's not actually a woman in here. She's just my girlfriend. Oh my gosh, that is so cringy. Well, I feel like, especially in the photo video niche, and like, honestly, sometimes I feel a little bit, a little bit of guilt about this because I've like shifted away from this. Because a couple years ago, I was making, like, I would introduce my channel, like, hey, I'm Katie Steckley, and I make videos about filmmaking and travel. Because those are like my two big passions at the time. And then I had a viral video about Instagram marketing. And so now I really talk about social media strategy. And in the world of social media strategy, like, there's definitely like, 
a ton of white dudes as there always are but like I honestly don't mm-hmm. watch a single one of them like I always <laughs> think about the people that I watch are like Vanessa Lau Sunny Leonard Doozy like Catherine Manning like other women that also talk about this kind of thing so that's the world I'm in now but back when I was more so in that the filmmaking like sort of cinematic vlog type world it was a lot of guys especially like this group of like Canadian like YouTuber dudes so like when I'm even looking for like local people you know like exactly who I mean like Peter McKinnon and co essentially and it just kind of feels (laughs) like like yeah so how do you find your own voice in that how do you find like a way to create something unique that isn't just like I don't know, like, I don't want my videos to come across as bro-y, but then when only with the content you see is kind of bro-y, how do you, like, break out of that and do something different? In short, I don't have an answer for that. It's, uh, like, I really do struggle with it every day when I'm thinking about my YouTube content. Um, Just because it's like, okay, the majority of the audience in, in this niche, like, are they mostly men? Men like other men. They hang out with each other. We all like to hang out with like-minded people. Um there's just something about it that I can't figure out. And through many conversations like this with other women and other men, it's like, okay, what is this really about? And I mean, the way I'm trying to approach it now in terms of my content on YouTube is me being a woman is a differentiator. And I Mm -hmm. never wanted to be like, Oh, I'm going to subscribe to her because she's a woman. But, but women have different perspectives. Women and men have different perspectives. Everyone has a different perspective from each other, but I think my take on photo, video, personal development, personal growth, uh, all the things that I talk about, it's, it's different from a lot of the men that are in the space. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I'm trying to lean into that and just be like, this is my perspective. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, exactly. And you know what, just to say as well, like, I just want to encourage you because I feel like you are doing a good job of that. Like when I watch your videos, they do have this like very unique feel to them where it's like, it's not the like broy like YouTube guy kind of thing, but it's also not like you're falling into sort of like overly feminine stereotypes if that makes sense because sometimes it can feel like that's the other way to almost make yourself really like, I don't know, like almost try to diminish yourself in a way to be, to fit into that vibe. And like, I feel like you find like a very good middle point. And that's like exactly what I strive to do as well, where it's like, I I can be taken seriously by everybody, but I also don't need to like try to take on these overly masculine characteristics in order to be taken seriously, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird construct that we have to think about all the time. Yeah. It's like, you just got to be you, I think. And it, it takes a long time. Like you said, the original question, of like, how do you find your voice and all that? Like, it takes time and practice and patience and and consciously thinking about, am I being myself right now? If I'm not, like, that's a problem. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I would say, like, to anyone who's trying to find their voice online, just keep going. Just keep trying to figure it out and you'll get there. Yeah, exactly. It's a process for sure. So speaking of the creative process, I, I love your YouTube videos. They are so well done. Like they're just like beautiful. Like the story is told, told so well. And honestly, like I'm kind of jealous. So like, I want to know how you do it. So (laughs) I would love to know, like, what's your process with like coming up with the concept and then developing that story, making sure that it's like filled out in the right places, but not too long in other places. And then how do you actually like make it happen? (laughs) A small Um, question. I know. Yeah. So I, I was trying to think about this and I need to actually nail down what my creative process is, because I think if I did that, I would actually be able to be a little bit more consistent on YouTube, um, to, in terms of coming up with a concept, I pull ideas from content that I'm seeing online. Um, I actually pull some of my concepts from Twitter and I usually try to test out my concepts on Twitter. So I'll like tweet out kind of like the premise of an idea that I have that just like comes to me on a walk or a shower or something that's happening in the world currently or something that I'm dealing with personally. Um, I'll tweet something out like a short bit from that and see how many people comment, if it gets people engaged, if people are excited about the concept. Uh, I have kind of like a threshold of like what the engagement on that post should look like if I think it's a good idea for a, a full on video um, to make for my channel. Um, so that's kind of like, it's kind of like my vetting process, I guess. 
Um, if it doesn't do well and I really, I really want to make the video, I'll still make the film, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So, so creative process, that's how I come up with the idea. And then, um, as of lately, probably the last two months, I started scripting my videos because it just, uh, cuts down on post-production time like massively. Yeah. So I, I generally write a script, um, record the A roll and then I make my shot list for the B roll and then I shoot all the B I try to shoot all of the B roll in like I want to say four hours but I'm it's more like eight yeah <laughs> and then I edit it in like uh I want to say 10 hours but it's more like 20 yeah <laughs> And then I'm always, three days late, so I upload it right away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? It always takes longer than like you think it's going to. So when you're kind of coming up with the visual side of stuff, like you kind of got the story and the script in place, do you come up with a storyboard before you start shooting? Or do you kind of like just go for it? Let the Almost like let the story come out in the edit, if that makes sense. Yeah, so – and you asked about story. I forgot to cover that, but um, – the visuals, I usually, I cut my A-roll and then I make markers on the timeline for my shot list and I pull that into a note so I can just follow the note as a shot list. But it, the way I work right now, and it's problematic because I'm trying to do more outsourcing for my own personal brand stuff and it makes it really hard. My process is not set up for that right now. Um, but when I get into the A-roll, I can like feel the pacing. I can feel like the emotion of my tone. I can feel like what what is there and what as soon as I as as soon as I edit the A-roll I can see the visuals so mm -hmm. I just write that down and then yep. um, adjust in the shoot on if I made a shot that's really just time consuming and not important then I'll just like try to back off from it um, but yeah it's as soon as I get into the the edit of the A-roll I'm like oh this would be really cool and then usually what ends up happening is um like any, if people have seen my videos, I, I usually have some like uh, white background with black text and stuff. That all comes usually in the edit and post-production once I've found the music and I'm just kind of doing like final graphics and pass through and stuff because it just, it feels right. So mm -hmm. it's quite mm -hmm. the subjective <laughs> process. I know exactly what you mean though. It's just like, it's what feels right. It's like when you're, I do the same kind of thing. I mean, a lot of what I'm making now is sort of like, tutorials or advice videos or whatever but I do try to bring in um other visuals here and there to keep it interesting and I will be like watching back the a-roll and just kind of thinking oh I could add this or that so I feel mm -hmm. like my process almost involves like an initial draft edit and then like further shooting and then I like kind of come back and put it all together yes I love that um in terms of story I've always people always ask me this question I I, I don't know if I ever officially learned storytelling. Um, and honestly, it's something that I continue to work on because I'm trying to improve my audience retention. And I'm like, okay, why do people only watch 46%, right? It's like, what's happening? That's still um, pretty good, though. That's a good, I feel like that's a pretty good audience retention rate on YouTube. Is it? God, I don't understand. Okay, if anyone's out there wants to DM me when you... If you're the person that's on YouTube and you only watch half of a video, like I don't understand, like my yeah. brain does not, if I click on a video and I'm searching for information and it's clearly a bad video, I'll click off in the first 10 seconds. Whatever. Yes. If I have watched half of a video, I'm going to watch the full video. I don't understand. Yeah. I'm the same way. I get what you mean. <laughs> I'm either out in the first 10 seconds or I'm in it to the end, but People, I guess they're busy. They have other stuff to do. I, I don't know. So I'm just confused. DM me. Anybody, anybody out there, explain this. Um, so, but uh, I've been working on like more of the YouTube specific, like hook, re-engagement, um, mm -hmm. first act, re-engagement, like making sure that you're like keeping people engaged throughout the yeah. whole thing and like tying back and making sure they wait till the end because they have this payoff and like all these different things that you have to think about on YouTube of like okay how do I get somebody to watch a full video or 60% yeah. of a video um so I've been really trying to work that into my scripts more and actually planning that out uh versus trying to find it in the edit which used to be my process before YouTube of like uh, I would just always find the story in the edit which just doesn't work when you're trying to put out a quality film every week 
especially when you're trying to make them so short and concise. Like I, I totally know yeah. what you mean because it's interesting. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like the storytelling process is kind of like, like if you think of the general structure of a story that we have like traditionally, let's say with novels or even like full length films, like, you know, beginning, middle and end there's sort of tension climax like reveal or payoff or whatever like Mm -hmm. that exists but then when you're thinking about creating a storyline for a youtube video what i'm starting to realize is there's almost like a different structure to it like i was kind of trying to write out okay if i'm going to make like a storytelling video for my channel what are all the pieces involved and you kind of need a hook right off the bat that like teases what the reveal is going to be then you almost need to build into it somehow getting like that engagement so like comment this or what do you think about that or you know what i mean i just it's Mm -hmm. not just the traditional storytelling structure it's like how can you tell a story like for the youtube platform specifically and it's definitely got its own nuances oh yeah it's it's beyond the three-act structure for sure it's like you have to have pieces in there that keep people's attention clearly (laughs) yes not there yet but we're always working on it and it's it's hard like I feel like I watch people's YouTube videos that really keep me engaged until the end and I can say like I know that they are like good at storytelling but there's almost something like ethereal about it that it's like hard to nail down exactly what it is Mm -hmm. and I think that's the struggle it's like I'm trying to come up with a formula but I'm not sure there is a formula like I feel like there's a little bit of like magic dust or something. <laughs> Definitely pixie dust for sure. <laughs> so, okay. In addition to YouTube, which I love your channel, you're obviously great at making YouTube videos, but like you mentioned before, you're also a creative founder of a company that's called ambition and you guys have a product called lofty. And I would love to hear what is that all about? What have you been working on? Who is it for? And what is the mission? Yes. I love that. Um, so, Ambitious is kind of like the parent company that I came up with, and there's a lot of vision involved with that, but the first thing that I've been working on is called Lofty, and um, it's a platform that facilitates partnerships between conscious brands, creators, and nonprofits, essentially to amplify cause-centric campaigns, and also there's like a, a piece of that to where we can bring that content to audiences who actually care uh, about that, so um, that's essentially what it is. I mean, you, you could call it... Uh, a match.com for cause center campaigns. You could call it an influencer marketing platform. You could call it a lot of different things. Um, just nothing like that exists to bring those three parties together. And I wanted to make something that makes that easier. It kind of stemmed from uh, wanting to work with nonprofits in my video production company. And I had worked with nonprofits in the past, but most of them ended up being uh, pro bono. They ended up being like just for free work. And, while I really enjoyed that, it's not sustainable for so many people, so many creatives who want to work on causes that they're passionate about. Free work, while it can be fulfilling, as it is fulfilling, we if you've ever done that kind of stuff, you know you feel fulfilled afterwards. Uh, it's just not sustainable to not get paid for, for the months and months and months of time you put into that kind of stuff. Um, so... Yeah, as this as a space evolved and I started to see these connections between brands actually starting to understand and implement uh, their core values and speak out and and let consumers know what they are passionate about, what they're doing in their communities, um, and being able to the brand being able to underwrite that content, work with a nonprofit, work with the creator for distribution, all that stuff, it just made sense to me, and I wanted to build something out that made that possible. Mm-hmm. I think it totally makes sense. It's definitely filling a space that needs to be filled. So I'm curious, what has that process looked like for you? So you were saying you studied like filmmaking and communications in college. So how does somebody that kind of like, you know, does an arts degree or whatever end up kind of starting a tech company? Would you call it a tech company or like, how did yeah. you learn everything that you need to know to like found a startup essentially? Yeah, I'm still I'm still in the process. Um, yeah. So I've definitely made mistakes along the way in terms of the development. I I'm not a developer. I can't code. I can't do any of that. So uh, I'm still looking. I, I'd still I'd still be really happy to take on a technical co-founder uh, if I found somebody who was passionate about the impact space. Um, because I've made so many mistakes along the way, and it's been such a slow process because I am learning all this different stuff, and I'm, you know, hiring people, and then it's not working out, it's not what I expected, and so all this, all this process has been a real, a real learning process for me. Um, 
and it's been slow because that's not where I make money. And so I mix, uh, you know, I still focusing on client work and YouTube and, uh, and then so lofty at this point is still like on the back burner. Like I hate it, but you know, I only get, I only give myself like one day a week to work on it. And it's such a, like to really, really dive into it. And I wish it was five days a week. So, um, it's, it's quite, there's a learning curve, uh, especially when you didn't study this in school. But, of course, you have podcasts, YouTube videos. There's so, there are quite a few channels on starting a SaaS company on, on YouTube that have been really, really helpful. Uh, such good resources on there for non-technical founders. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an expensive process. I don't recommend it unless you're really passionate about it and you like, have a serious vision for it because it's, it's not a slight undertaking by any means mm-hmm. but and you know what like I'm just so glad that you're like transparent about that because that's honest that's realistic like it does take a lot of time and it is difficult so like good for you for sticking with it and just like <laughs> persevering and continuing to follow that because it's so much easier to just like never start or never try you know what I mean yeah I I actually read something recently because I was feeling really discouraged because it, I've been working on this for so long and I feel like I've made like just inches of progress toward where like my vision for this is and I actually read something that takes like most founders four years to get their startup like actually launched and I'm like okay I feel a little better yeah Uh, (laughs) because it is it's a it's a grueling process especially like I I need a co-founder like I if -hmm. you're out there and you're passionate about impact and and you have technical skills like let's do this because it's hard to do it on your own. And I bounce ideas off of my wife all the time. She's does her best. She's like, that sounds great. I really don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, the same with YouTube stuff, right? We all probably try to bounce ideas off and they, they do their best. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about the algorithm. I don't get it, but whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, what has your experience been with sort of founding a startup in terms of like, the startup space or community like do you feel like you're kind of a part of like the tech startup world at all because like before we were talking about YouTube being broy. like let's talk like tech <laughs> startups but like I also feel like your company is sort of in this like almost third space because it is about like social impact like um so being socially conscious like that kind of thing so it's it's different but have you like considered like trying to get like investor funding for instance or like what has that whole uh world been like for you yeah, um, the main experience that I've had in that space has been at conferences that I've gone to. So, like, all the different, like, South by Southwest, like, different stuff mm-hmm. like that, where, where they have even just, like, meetups, uh, niche-specific meetups. That's almost the extent of my experience in the tech world. Um, yeah, it's a tech startup, and I think that's probably where I'm lacking in terms of, like, my experience. Um, again, like, for, for you and me, it's like we never had – an employer we've never worked with in that system and I feel I have like real fears about not really understanding the corporate world um and so so for me I'm probably it's probably a huge weakness um is not really being a part of the tech community I've considered definitely like a year from now I would love to maybe be in an accelerator or something and but but most of those as well really want there to be two co-founders Um, so that's again, another way that that's holding me back. Um, but I've spent most of my personal time in terms of building my personal brand and building my network has been in the impact space and the creator space. So trying to build out those two elements of this, um, getting nonprofits and creators that I know will sign up for the platform when it's launched and then. I keep saying this, but I hope that I get a co-founder that's going to fill out this third pillar for me. So yes. we'll see how that works out. For totally. Well, you know what? I, I believe in you a hundred percent. I know it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of like the time. And you know what? I feel like what's clear to me is like you have such a passion for it and that's, what's going to like drive you through it. So speaking of that passion, I'm really curious how did you come to be so passionate about like the social impact, like activism and advocacy space? Because it's so apparent in everything you do, like your content. I mean, it's like your entire like company is built on that. So what, what brought you to be so passionate about it? Hmm. This is a good question. And I don't totally 
I don't completely know. Um, a lot of people that I've spoken to in, in the social impact space, like grew up volunteering a lot, um, doing all that kind of like their parents were super involved in like 10 nonprofits when they were a kid and they were always going like, I can remember volunteering as a kid. I'd say most of it was through our church. Um, so not really non, I mean, well, I guess a church is nonprofit, but not like you would hope not, so, right? Not, not like NGO based, you know, like yeah. not, not like they were finding different organizations in our community to go out and volunteer like every mm-hmm. once a month or something. Um, so yeah, I guess most of my volunteer experience comes from growing up in the church. I have an interesting relationship with that now as a queer woman. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I, I used to go on mission trips every summer. We'd like build houses and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's probably like my first experience of like serving an underserved community and like really getting that experience of, of just like not about yourself and just helping other people. Um, and then I'd say like just my passion with activism and advocacy really unfortunately probably comes from me being a queer woman and um I always talk to my wife about this like I I'm afraid to say who I would be if I hadn't married a woman if I had like I would consider myself bisexual probably I'd go with queer because I don't know because I married the first woman I was with um but if I didn't have to live a life where I had something about me or something outwardly about my family that people could try to have prejudice against. And um, so that has had a huge impact on the way I live my life, I think. So just having mm-hmm. that first moment where you are a minority as a, as a prior straight white woman, um, definitely, definitely huge impact. So, mm-hmm. and like, honestly, like it's obviously terrible that, we go through these things where like you face discrimination, you face prejudice and that kind of like makes you more passionate about helping other people that also face that. But I think that that is something that a lot of people go through. Like, so, you know, for myself, when I was in high school, I feel like I started learning more about the evils of the patriarchy basically. And like, you know, the importance of feminism and and that sort of thing. And then Mm -hmm. through learning about that, kind of oppression and also that kind of activism it opened me up to learn about okay like what is racial injustice because obviously growing up white and in a very like white community I was so unaware of that but having that door opened to the idea of like you know these structures of oppression do exist in our world like what does that look like for other people then you know I could I could empathize I don't want to say like I understand because I never will. Like I don't understand what it's like to be a different identity than me, but I can understand that these systems of oppression exist and they need to be like fought against. So I think a lot of people do have that story of like, you kind of realize how it affects you and then you are able to have that like, yeah, yeah, empathy for other people and their situation. And I think like, I remember, especially as a teenager, um, you know, always thinking like, why is it always like men who are so homophobic? Like I knew a lot of like women in my life who were like, you know, even if they started out as like quite conservative Christians, cause I also grew up in the church, like, um, and it's still, and I'm still a part of it. Like there's a lot of like women that kind of originally maybe would have had, you know, anti LGBTQ kind of like feelings, but they eventually turn around and become like, you know, an ally and an affirming person because they're like, no, I understand that that is like (laughs) shitty to be like that. But I felt like, okay, there's a lot of men that I come across that don't have that same empathy. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm like oversimplifying the situation, but I think sometimes like the less access you have to even the idea of like the fact that oppression exists, the less able you are to empathize. I don't know. I just kind of went on a tangent there, but I feel like, I think that's a really interesting point of just like, yeah, women, generally we know what it what it means to be born something that you can't can't change I mean that's yeah. a whole another conversation but uh and to have that mean that you have to experience unfair circumstances mm-hmm. um so uh, that's really interesting thinking about just homophobia and and whether more men hold on to that because they can't empathize because they don't know what that's like very, yeah very interesting Exactly. And I think like maybe, and this is like diving deep, but like part of it too is like holding on to those 
forms of oppression like it gives power to some people so for like for it's in straight men's interest basically to ensure that like homophobia continues to exist because it gives them this extra power in society so and the same thing can be said about white privilege and and all that Mm -hmm. stuff so anyway um yeah that is thank you for sharing that i (laughs) i always just find it interesting like um i don't know in the online space there are some people that are like very clearly like passionate about being an activist and and being an advocate and I think some people haven't I just like to think they haven't come to that yet someday Mm -hmm. they will also become passionate about it so I just always love to know like what your sort of like superhero backstory was (laughs) well I think we're seeing a lot of shift in that right now I've I just it's my job so I keep tabs on it I take screenshots of any Instagram posts that's like advocacy any of the creators of my network are like oh they're doing something that's awesome take note of it uh and you've just seen an explosion of that with Black Lives Matter in the last mm-hmm. uh, two two months, yeah. and you're finally I'm finally seeing some people who haven't really spoken out about anything in terms of causes or value that are finally taking a stand and using their voice, and it's like it's so impressive. And I know for so many people, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And you know, you do see stories like I I know that I I lost followers um, on I lost subscribers on YouTube when I posted. Uh, an LGBT content uh in June I lost people on Instagram for posting about Black Lives Matter but like honestly who cares good riddance if you're passionate about the fact that Black Lives Matter get why why do you care if those people leave literally why do you care so exactly you don't want them yeah it's been a really interesting process of seeing people finally take a stand and use their voice because I think it'll be an introduction for them that this is okay, that you don't have to be scared, that you should do this. And every creator has one to three causes they're passionate about. That I am positive of, mm-hmm. uh, just from like interviewing different people and talking to so many people. And you can absolutely get paid on YouTube to create content around those passions and those causes. So I'm excited to see where it goes in the next yes. year, five years. I am. I am very excited to see where it goes to because I feel like there is just like continuing energy around that. So I feel like you're yeah. in like the perfect space to continue down that path. Yeah, um, so going back to your YouTube channel again, I, I was thinking this as I was just like scrolling through your videos, clearly you are not a stranger to collaborations. And I think that creative collaborations are very important for like personal growth, learning new things. They can also be helpful for the growth of like your YouTube channel, for instance. So I'm kind of curious to hear from you what does it look like for you like initiating collaborations, making them happen? Because it can get, it can be kind of intimidating. Like I'll just say from my own experience, I was really nervous to start inviting people on my podcast. Cause I was like, what if they don't want to be on? Like, what if they don't want to be interviewed? <laughs> so it is kind of like a vulnerable thing to be like, okay, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to ask if you'll be a part of this. So what has your experience been with that? And like, do you have any advice about, about starting with collaborations? Yeah. I love this question. Um, And I will also preface it with, we have an entire episode on the underscore show about collaboration. So if you want to check that out, that'll be a more in-depth answer. Um, But I just think collaborations are like one of the most fun parts of, of everything we do. It's just the best, like, come on, a full day of work, it's work, but you get to hang out with like a fun friend and like make shit together. And it's awesome. So the more we can do that, like we don't have colleagues, right? We are each other's yes. colleagues on YouTube as content creators, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you are, we are each other's colleagues. And it's a lonely, it's a lonely journey uh, for most people, many people, unless you have like a, a full on team of creators for one channel, like Yes Theory or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so just do it. We all want to collaborate. We all want to collaborate. It just has to be the right fit. So I think the, yeah, the point to your question is like, how do you know that it's a right fit? How do you get over the intimidation factor of reaching out to someone? Um, I think, I think that my number one tip would be just to reach out as a colleague, as a peer, um, not as a fan, because then you've shifted the paradigm here. Then you, then it's a different conversation. Um, and of course don't reach out with, Hey, want to collab? Exactly. You reach out, you build a relationship, you engage with people on their content, you you become a part of their community, you support their work, you 
you know, you, you comment on their stories, DM them um, on their stories, uh, engage with their content, because we all know it helps the algorithm. We all know that we're trying to build a community here. Just be authentic with it. Just be human. I think it's just be human is the name of the uh, underscore show episode. Oh, I love <laughs> that. Like, because that's that's just why it's just just be a human being engage with a person and like just like you and I like become internet friends and I always like I always say when I'm telling like my uh college or high school friends about my friends now which mostly consist of my internet friends so I say that (laughs) because I can't even just say like my YouTube friend we met on Instagram like I don't know but they're like Alex that sounds weird and I'm like get over it it's the truth. They're my internet friends, whatever. Yes. Welcome um, to 2020. Exactly. So just reach out, start commenting, start engaging. And then once you've built a relationship with that person, then you have a dope collab idea that would fit that you have got given so much thought to that, you know, it would be a good fit for their channel or their audience and a good fit for your channel and audience. And then you reach out with that specific idea. So when you're reaching out to somebody else and it's going to take their time, you can't just be like, hey, come up with an idea for us to collab and we'll do it. And I'm just using you like that's yeah. basically all that says <laughs> if you just DM that. So Exactly. I just I think that the perfect summary of it is like the title of your podcast episode just be human because so many people I think when they're interacting on social media are too focused on the strategy gaming the algorithm trying to get the numbers right and instead like they should just be thinking this is another person and like how can I make them feel like it's worthwhile because I think it is about a value exchange but it doesn't have to be about the numbers of like oh well I have this many subscribers so if you collab with me then you'll get this much exposure it could just be that you have a really awesome idea for a YouTube video let's say and that's one less video idea they have to come up with so now they get to have fun making a video with somebody else and it's a cool video idea that they can put on their channel so I feel like don't get wrapped up in the numbers just be like how can I make friends with this person and then how can we work together on something that would be fun exactly and yeah that's it's so important just treat people like humans just be human yourself and don't even always look at it like you, sh- you should be looking to collaborate with people that are on your same level. I know that's really hard to think about when yeah. everyone's telling you to collaborate, to grow, and you're at 100 subscribers. But it's like, you just just do the content that makes you happy and, ma- and you have fun with and make friends and see each person as your peer. So, like, a good example mm-hmm. of this is um, I did a collaboration with Jake Frew, and that was probably six months after we became friends on Instagram. And at the time I think he had, I think I had like 3000 subscribers and he had like 500 and because I was, you know, ahead of him, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I don't like, he can't do anything for me. No, we became friends and now he's going to hit a hundred thousand subscribers like any time. And I'm sitting here at like 13. So it's like, and now we're like he's one of my best YouTube friends like it's just you just have to see everyone as human everyone as peer and and just have fun don't think about what can I get from you because that's just rude (laughs) yeah exactly and and it's transparent it's transparent everyone like if you send somebody a message and that's what you're trying to get from them they know like Mm -hmm. that's just rude (laughs) yeah exactly it's just just be human and I feel like that's like a good that's like a message of like your entire like platform I feel like <laughs> which I love so now we have reached the portion of the show that I am kind of calling the rapid fire round but your responses don't have to be like rapid this is basically just me being kind of nosy and kind of curious about other people's creative process because I'm nerdy I like to know about the gear the software like how you do what you do so I've got a couple questions are you ready I'm ready I'm ready. All right. Question one. What camera do you use for photo and video? Are they the same? Do you have like different preferences for each? I use Sony a7 III and Sony a6400. I wish it was the a6600, but I bought it like two weeks before that one came out. Um, I, yeah, I use a7 III for photos generally. Um, a6400, I technically usually use to shoot my B-roll when I'm doing it for myself because it has a flip screen and it makes it a lot easier. Um, yeah, for all my client stuff, I typically use the a7 III, um, and I've been dabbling in the Blackmagic 4K and 6K for like Ooh. bigger projects and stuff. So, 
Very cool. I am like a yeah. recent Sony convert. I have the A6600 and I love it. So nice. Yeah. There's such good cameras for YouTube. It's like you could, you could absolutely start, a, you can do a YouTube channel with your phone, but yes, you don't have to worry about the, the gear and having full frame and doing all this stuff. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Totally. Okay. Question two, how do you edit your photos and videos? I use Lightroom and Photoshop. And I recently downgraded Adobe because I used to use Premiere. And then when I did daily, um, I learned on Final Cut 7 and I had Final Cut 10. And then I switched to Premiere because it was more like Final Cut 7. And then uh, when I was daily vlogging, the workflow with Premiere crashing was awful. And export times on a Mac and all those things that we all know about. So I switched to Final Cut. Uh, So that was like 2018. 20, spring of 2019 and I haven't looked back so I'm f- I'm full-on final cut now I finally just last month downgraded uh to just the photo Adobe and it feels great <laughs> oh that's my gosh a huge monthly charge I don't know I didn't do it sooner oh but. man <laughs> don't even talk to me about export times I don't even want to know how fast <laughs> it is for you because I'll probably cry <laughs> it's like six minutes dude no honestly okay i i always i've loved premiere it's the only thing i've ever used and i probably will continue to use it but when i did start shooting in 4k since i got my a6600 the export times are killer like it will take like hours to export a youtube video but back when i was just still doing everything 1080p it was really quick so mm-hmm. i don't know what i i just think okay <laughs> i'm gonna have to get a better computer because that's <laughs> if you uh, if you're gonna stick to premiere just don't get a mac Oh no, but I can't, you know what? That's, that's my journey. I'll have to figure out what I want to do for that. But my next question is what are your go-to apps for organization and project management? These are like some of my favorite. I love organization. I love a good, just like get it done. Um, I use Asana as my main project management workflow. Uh, I haven't sprung for the premium and it entices me every damn day yes (laughs) there's like so much good shit on there for premium um now that i've downgraded adobe i can probably afford to go premium on asana yes there you go uh so i also use google tasks and google calendar so i do like a, a solid time block calendar situation on every workday and pull from google tasks so i basically organize all my thoughts in asana keep track of calendars and stuff and deadlines and goals and everything but then for daily and weekly tasks I do I do google awesome so my final question in the rapid fire round which will probably be less rapid but you know it goes with the theme how did you learn these programs especially like the like photo video editing stuff and um, how did you also like decide on and learn your camera systems I feel like everybody has a different like journey to finding their favorite one. So I'm just curious if you have like any specific like landmark reasons why, I mean, you mentioned like why you changed to final cut kind of, but like why Sony, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to edit. I'm actually putting out a video. The one that I'm working on right now is like my whole journey as an editor. Um, oh, cool. Just interesting timing. Um, but I learned how to edit in my first internship in college, I had a six month internship with a post-production or a production house in Chicago. And I was editing every day there. So that's where I learned on Final Cut 7. Um, And Sony, how did I land on Sony? My first camera was Canon 60D, woo! And in 2010, and I switched to Sony, what was my, A6500. So I used the Canon 60D for like seven years, six or seven years, mm. Got all like doing client work, just like doing yeah. all that stuff. And then, um, well, I guess client work was only like three years of the Canon 60D. But then I switched to Sony because they were like really leading it when they came out with the A64 and A60 or A63 and A6500 mm-hmm. and Canon was really slacking yep. at that point. Like they're picking up the pace now. They're doing a good job. Um, but they were so small, great for, for travel, versatile. They were just, they were just leading the pack when I did all my research then. So yeah, that's where, that's where I landed. Totally. Awesome. So 
I have one final question to round out our interview today, and this is probably a big one. So if you need some time to think about it, no worries. I feel like I've been asking people this and they're like, oh gosh. So here we go. (laughs) If you could time travel back to you right before you started your creative journey. So I don't know when you would consider that maybe like pre-college days or right after graduation or or whatever Mm -hmm. makes sense. What advice would you give to Alex at that time? And maybe that would be similar advice to what you would give to somebody else who's also starting out on their journey. Like what's something that you've learned along the way that you really wish you would have known when you started? Wow. I know. (laughs) Um, I think number one, start your personal brand in 2014, Alex. Uh, That's number one. Get on YouTube in 2014. And because because also like that, it took me probably a year and a half to get comfortable in front of the camera, comfortable doing stuff like this. Yeah. So if you start that process sooner, then you just get there sooner, just better at telling stories in general about yourself and about your life and treating yourself as a character. I think it's super important uh, for what I do. So just getting into that sooner would definitely be probably my number one tip. Also, uh, what's interesting is, now you have YouTube tutorials, people who want to start a creative journey and are trying to learn. Like I learned almost everything besides like the editing. I learned to shoot film, cinematography, everything on my own from Google in 2012. And there was really not a tutorial space for like it is now. So mm-hmm. I was like reading this shit, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. like Googling it and then you've got this article that's telling you about ISO and aperture, like all these things. You're just like, I don't get it. I don't even know where that is on my camera, but I'm yep. going to roll with it. And I'm keep going. So now my number one recommendation, like if, if I were, if I were 22 in 2020, be like, just get all the information, watch a video, learn how to do something, go practice it, watch a video, learn how to do something, go practice it. Like there's nothing more valuable than actually getting out there, getting out of your comfort zone, learning new things, but then actually implementing it right away. Cause that's when you actually learn something. So mm-hmm. yeah, if I were, if I were 22 in 2020, that would be what I would be spending every free minute on. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for imparting that wisdom I feel like that's that's a good (laughs) message for anybody getting started out and thank you in general for being a guest today I've really appreciated chatting with you learning more about your story so thank you so much for coming on the show this has been so fun it's always fun to like have a little break in your day where you get to talk to another creative person because again we're each other's colleagues and like exactly so much fun I love listening to podcasts like this just like getting different perspectives on people's experiences so thank you thank you for doing this and thanks for having me Yeah, of course. So to close things out, would you like to let everybody know where they can find you on social media? Ooh, yeah. Um, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, even though it's controversial in the moment. Uh, I've been creating on there a little bit. I know you have as well. Uh, But yeah, Instagram, YouTube are probably my most active um, platforms. So you can find me there. Awesome. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. So make sure you head there afterwards and go find Alex online. All right. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Creator Club podcast. If you listen to this entire episode, I want to know who you are. Send me a DM on Instagram at Katie Steckley so we can chat. Do you want to be part of the official Creator Club? You can join my Insider Squad Facebook group by going to katiesteckley.com slash club. I'd love to see you there. Finally, if you're looking for more value-packed content like this, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash katie. Go to my channel and search Instagram hacks, and I promise you won't be disappointed. If you want to hear more episodes like this and support this show to continue, please leave me a review in iTunes. It really helps me out. And you just might get featured on the next episode as the review of the week. Leave your IG handle in the review so I can give you a shout out. Again, thanks so much for listening. And as always, I hope you are having adventures and following your dreams. And I'll catch you next week, Creator Club.